On today's episode, we're taking a look into the history of Burlington's Church Street, a story about an architect who fought for pedestrian-centered urban planning, an off-unrecognized forced displacement, and of course, Disneyland. From the Center for Research on Vermont, it's Mud Season, and I'm Emma Bitpart Butler. Bill, can you introduce yourself with your title or uh... my birthday? No. If not your birthday, then maybe how you ended up here. Okay, where I'd like to start has to do with where I originally came up with the notion of Church Street. That's Bill Truex. He's kind of the guy responsible for what you see here today. As architect, former city council member, and pedestrian street enthusiast. When I was in graduate school, I was offered an opportunity to work on the Houses of Parliament for Nigeria. But on the way, we traveled through uh, Copenhagen. And when we had gone through the first time, their major shopping street was simply cluttered with cars and trucks, and it was really hard to go down it. We went back, and they had closed it. It was the first pedestrianized street in Europe, and it made such a huge impression on both of us. I returned. I graduated in 63, and we sought out a place to raise a family, and Burlington ended up being it. Based on his experience in Copenhagen, in a few years' time, Bill's goal would be to pedestrianize the traffic-heavy shopping avenue of Burlington's Church Street. But I'm going to rewind a bit. This idea didn't come out of nowhere. In the late 50s, Burlington and cities nationwide saw the need to fix up their downtown areas. This was a process known as urban renewal. Critics called it urban removal. Coupled with a sincere desire to bring about economic improvement through the development of civic centers, Cities demolished neighborhoods deemed unsightly or dangerous, displacing long-standing communities. Now America is a land of mighty cities. New buildings are continually changing city skylines. The truly dynamic American cities are those that are coming to grips with the problem of outmoded structures. Increasingly, we are seeing large-scale demolition as the first step in building modern cities. As a people, however, we are steadfast as we tackle problems, and the hammer of demolition will be sure to swing with determination, and our progress is certain to be steady as we clear away the structures that block progress. There were all kinds of renewal initiatives. Detroit's bulldozing of black neighborhoods to create highways. Boston's acquisition of a low-income community to build government center. And, as you may have guessed, Burlington's takeover of the downtown district once home to Little Italy. I tried to get in touch with the Vermont Italian Club, but didn't hear back. But I did find a CCTV segment in the archives. Burlington Urban Renewal. At what price? My name is John Varchione, and I'm associated with the Vermont Italian Club. And I'm here today to present something that uh, is very dear to myself and uh, many of the members of the Vermont Italian Club. You can walk the streets of Burlington's inner city business district near Lake Champlain. It is filled with bright, efficient, tax-revenue-producing entities. What was this district like in the 1960s? 
In 63, Burlington approached the redevelopment strategy with a twofold goal. One, commandeer Burlington's Little Italy to revitalize the Central Commercial Center, and two, though perhaps under the auspices of white picket citizenship, erase a population they viewed as problematic. An almost $800,000 budget was approved. Within five years, 157 homes were raised in the area between Battery and South Champlain Streets. They came forward with the edict of eminent domain. And for these uh, Italian and other families new to the United States, uh, they had little uh, recourse as to what they could do in the face of what the city wanted to do to bring about economic improvement to that area. As I say, it was sometimes tragic, destructive, and family-shattering for these people to lose their homes. As far as John's question goes, urban renewal, at what price? The answer seems obvious. But I bring up the story of Little Italy not because it was replaced by the Church Street Marketplace, but because they are part of the same initiative. To clarify, just a couple blocks east of 1960s Little Italy already lay a busy commercial church street, albeit in different form. Think Chevy Camaros, an A&W chain, some drugstores, and a handful of VW Beetles. And I think this contrast highlights the operating ideals and aesthetics of revitalization. How some projects, like the marketplace, help communities, and how others really hurt them. The relationship between Little Italy and the marketplace, as they help to define different aspects of the urban renewal ideology, is interesting, and I think important. Bill used the word utopia several times during our interview, and it's a word commonly paired with dreams of urban renewal. But I have to question, like John, at what cost and for whom? It's 1974. Bill's retired from the Planning Commission, and his firm's been hired to work on the Church Street Marketplace. Motivated by his belief in public spaces and pedestrian interaction, Bill and his team get some money together and travel around the country to do some research. We discovered the do's and don'ts of what works with pedestrian streets. Cities were trying to do this in those days. Some were successful, a lot were not. And it's true, a lot of things weren't going right. On his travels, it became clear urban downtowns were having a hard time competing with suburban marketplaces. But of all the places he visited, one place was particularly magical. And so, as the story goes, Bill found inspiration in the most unlikely spot. One of the key things was when Pat and I went by ourselves to Disneyland. He's referring to Pat Robbins, the chair of Burlington Street Commission at the time. And yes, Disneyland. The place with imitation streets recreated princess robots, and other seemingly artificial experiences. Of course, that sounds a little weird because nobody takes Disneyland seriously. My Vermont-style parents never brought me to Disney World or Disneyland, so I'm only drawing on lore. But perhaps it's the exaggerated mythology that's important here anyway. It was the only one that was really successful in our eyes of the six or seven that we had looked at in the course of our trip. The success to which Bill's referring includes a variety of unique Disney strategies. Bill spoke to me about hidden waste treatment, 
private operations, and business management, among other things. But the most important factor, it seemed, as we returned to it again and again throughout the conversation, is the way in which Disney created a purely pedestrian stage for social interaction. I think that, I believe that we are gregarious animals to begin with, and I think we enjoy being with each other in various kinds of environments. I think the particularly wonderful thing about the marketplace is that we have the restaurants, and there's no question in my mind that we are an entertainment center. Okay, Bill, I'm looking at a photo of the main thoroughfare of Disneyland, and it's really incredible how similar they are, minus the seven dwarfs. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hadn't really thought about it in those terms until you mentioned I think I don't know where to go with that. I've got the two photos next to each other, and I'll describe them to you now. To set the scene, the photo of Church Street is taken by a person standing on College Street looking north towards the church. The scale is obviously different, but there's a main avenue with retail shops bordering both sides in both images. And they both lead to places of worship. One is a UU church, and the other, the Magic Castle, a symbol of childhood fantasy, iconic consumerism, and America's own utopian mecca. And, despite being relatively new, each landmark portrays a vision of historic America, a kind of colonial-style Main Street combined with Norman Rockwell-esque Americana. Both look towards the future while looking back in some way. I've always viewed the marketplace as a place for human activity and place for people to interact and have fun and enjoy being there. And which, which I think is a very real principle as it relates to downtowns in general. We've, we've got to find a, a way of making them attractive from the perspective of people want to be there. Bill continues to look towards the future of Church Street. Though no longer formally attached to the marketplace, he still spends time thinking about it. Like stuff he's always thought about how to support public spaces and foster civic interaction. And now, posed with new challenges, how to maintain relevance in the age of digital economies. The future is not in retail. The future is in perhaps services, but very def definitely, the, being 2020, uh, of having housing in it. But it's, I think it's really important for the new manager of the marketplace to understand the program of providing activity in a space that's designed for it. And in this podcast, I'm not going into the philosophy of reality and which place is more real. So is it a successful reproduction of Disney World? I don't really know, and I don't think it matters. That's not the important question here. I do know I have a lot of great memories scored by the Church Street background. So ultimately, I do think Bill fulfilled his goal.